Amen. We are starting in this new series, as I said, entitled Good Ground. And I want to read to you from Mark chapter 4, which is our text passage right here. It's a long passage, but I want to read it to you. Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. If you don't have your Bible in front of you, they'll have the scriptures on the screen as well. It says, and again, he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude were gathered to him, so that he ended up getting into a boat, and he sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables, and he said to them in his teaching, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside. Everybody shout wayside. And the birds of the air came, and they devoured it, and some fell on stony ground. Everybody shout stony ground. ground. Where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And then some fell among thorns. Everybody shout among thorns. And the thorns grew up, and it choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground. Everybody shout good ground. ground. And it yielded a crop that sprang up and it increased and it produced some 30-fold and some 60 and some 100. And then he said to them, those of you that have ears to hear, let him hear. But when he was all alone, those around him and the 12 asked him about that parable. In other words, they said, can you explain what that meant? We didn't quite get that. In verse 13, he said to them, do you not understand this parable? Watch this. He says, how then, if you don't understand this one, watch this, how then, if you didn't get what I just said, how then will you understand all the other parables? So we could say it this way, based on him saying, if you don't understand this parable, you won't be able to understand all the rest of the parables. We could say this must be the master key to all the rest of the parables. And he goes on to explain. He says, the sower is sowing the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear the word, Satan comes immediately, and he takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These, likewise, are the ones that are sown on stony ground. But when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with gladness. They say, praise God, pass us a good word. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) But they don't have any root in themselves. So they only endure for a time. But afterwards, when tribulation or persecution shows up because of the word they just got, immediately they stumble. These are those who are sown among thorns. They're the ones that hear the word, but then the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enters into their heart and it ends up choking the word. And that word becomes unfruitful or unproductive. But these are the ones who are sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, They accept the word, and they bear fruit from the word, some 30-fold, some 60-fold, and some end up bearing a 100-fold return. This is the sower, the parable of the sower that sows the word. Now, the subject of this parable is the power of the word of God when it is sown into the human heart and Satan's relentless attempt to stop the word of God. You do realize that Satan tries everything he can to keep the word from getting into your heart. He, I mean, he, he, was, he tried everything to keep you from getting born again, but now that you're born again, he, his next best option is now that you're born again, try to keep you from getting the word. That's why you got to understand, Satan doesn't try to stop you from going to every church. There's some churches he doesn't mind you going to. Come on, there, there's some churches, he, Satan will be the Uber driver to help you get there in a hurry. 
But if you end up going to a church where the Bible is actually going to be taught, where the word is going to be sown into your heart, where there's enough structure and organization that the Holy Spirit has space to move, but you get a chance to get the word deposited into your heart, then Satan tries everything he can to stop that word from getting into your heart. You know why? Because he knows if you can ever get this word deep into your heart and it start producing results, you're going to be a bad man or woman, whoever you are. So that's what he's fighting against. Now, there are three elements that are involved in this process. Let me describe them to you. The sower that he's talking about, in our case, is the preacher. So today, I'm the sower. Today, I'm the farmer. I'm Farmer George today. <laughs> and every Sunday when I show up here, I, I, I'm a farmer. And my job, watch this, is to take this bag of seed and go in here and grab some seed and sow it into your heart. And assuming your heart is good ground, if I sow some seed into your heart, that seed is eventually going to spring up and produce a harvest, and you're going to see the benefits. Watch this. And if you see the benefits long enough, that tree coming out of your heart is going to become so big that other people get the benefit from the shade coming off of you. Come on, you miss a good place to shout amen. So the sower is the preacher. The seed is the word of God. And the ground represents the condition of the human heart. Genesis 8.22 says this, as long as the earth endures, as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night will never cease. In other words, what the Bible was saying there, I told you that God put a rhythm in place. He created rhythm of life. He created cold and heat. He created summer and winter. But he also created this exchange called seed time and harvest time. And I want you to grab hold of this. The principle of seed time and harvest is a master law in the kingdom of God. And that means everything in our lives is a product of this principle. The principle of seed time and harvest is a master law in the kingdom of God. Just like gravity is a law in the earth. In the kingdom of God, the, the principle of seed time and harvest time is a master law. And everything in our lives is a product of this principle. Now, there are four different places that the seed or the word of God can land. And so today, as Farmer George or any other farmer, Farmer Rodney or Farmer Brian on our staff is up here on stage and we're reaching into this bag of seed to sow it, how many know that if you go to Home Depot or Lowe's or, or your favorite gardening store and you buy a bag of seed and you're trying to take it home to plant it into your, into your garden because you're trying to get your grass to grow, you're trying to grow some tomatoes in your little garden in the back, Yard. How many know as you're walking with that seed, if there's a hole in the bag and some of the seed spills out and it ends up on the sidewalk instead of your grass, how many know it's not going to produce? That's what the Bible describes as wayside seed. It's seed that has been sown on wayside ground, which means it's not going to produce. And the Bible says, we'll talk about this more next week, but the Bible says that's what happens when the word is being sown but it doesn't take root in our hearts. Watch this, because the devil shows up not three days later, not a month later, but he shows up immediately. <laughs> you know why? Because he knows if I, if I wait too long, this thing going to germinate. <laughs> it's going to take root in their heart, and it's going to start springing up. So the Bible says he shows up immediately to try to steal the word before it gets into your heart. Now, how does that happen? It happens, it happens number one, through distractions. Now, you know, you know how easy it is to get distracted at church. That's why you got to fight hard to stay focused. 
And we, we live in a time now where it is natural to be on your, on your phone during the message, and we don't, we don't bother you about it. Nobody's asking you to put your phone down because some of you are on, on, on the app. You're looking at the notes. Some of you are, t- are putting notes for yourself to remind yourself to go back and read certain things. But can we just be honest? Some of y'all are on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. <laughs> some of you send a text message about something, and, and, I'm, and we're not trying to reprimand you, but I do want you to understand that when you find yourself, watch this, where the word is being sown. See, the word is being sown right now, and so that means the bag of seed is out. And as I'm trying to get this seed in your heart, if you get distracted, then the Bible says Satan comes immediately and he steals the word away, which means if you end up allowing yourself to get caught up on a text message or responding to an email from work or watch this even, even you get distracted by something going on around you, that's why, you know, we, we have a children's ministry, and we, we encourage, you know, the, as, as best you can to take your babies to the children's ministry, your, the small kids. We don't make it mandatory because we know sometimes when you're new to a place, hey, I don't know y'all folks. I ain't putting my baby over there yet. That's okay. We, we, we don't make it mandatory, but we do, and we've done this since the very beginning. Sometimes people have misunderstood us, and they don't understand the why behind it. But we allow children and babies to be in here, but in an adult setting like this, sometimes babies just get worked up. Sometimes little kids get frustrated and fussy, and what we ask you to do is, hey, if you're able to calm the baby down while they're in here, we give you a little time to calm them down. But if a baby takes off and starts crying and crying and, and the parent can't calm them down, then typically, watch this, one of our, that was right on cue, really. right on cue. <laughs> we, we set that up. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you. <laughs> if the <laughs> If the baby gets gone for a minute and the parent's not able to calm them down, which is normal, we ask the parent, just step out for a minute and either be able to calm your baby down, you know, give them a bottle, whatever's going to calm them down, change the diaper, or maybe step over to the mother's room with them. And the reason why we don't just allow that parent to sit and let the baby cry for five minutes, for 10 minutes, for 15 minutes is because even though it's natural for a baby to cry, watch this, if that baby ends up distracting the people around them, then that word now, watch this, doesn't get into the heart. It becomes seed that's on the wayside. It's not intentional. The parent's not trying to make it wayside. But the reality is, if, if anything starts distracting me, if my phone, if the temperature, if anything starts to distract me to where I cannot focus, then that seed has the potential to become wayside seed. Which is also why, watch this, we, we encourage you. You all know I, I like feedback. I want you to shout amen. Come on, say amen, somebody. I want you to shout praise the Lord. I want you to say, come on. I want you to say preach, bishop, yeah. all of that. But watch this. We, we also have to be careful, though, even when we're being responsive to the message, that we don't end up shouting so loud, so often, when nobody else is shouting. And without realizing it can end up being a distraction. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We've all sit next to that one brother or sister who loves the Lord <laughs> with all of their heart. And without realizing it, sometimes because when I say something real simple like, and the Lord, go to God. <laughs> God's going to praise the Lord, Bishop. Come on, Bishop. Without realizing it, we can end up becoming a distraction to the people around us. Come on, somebody. That's why we have to always judge what we're doing in comparison to what the group is doing. To make sure I don't let myself stand out to the point. Watch this where attention's on me instead of Jesus. Amen. 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 Right, and, and, and most of the time, most of the time, the assumption is it's not intentional. We all come from different backgrounds, and, and sometimes this word gets good. It's hard to contain it. 
But we have to make sure, watch this, that I don't end up accidentally distracting the people around me. Because even though it won't be you that did it, the enemy will use that to keep the seed from getting into their heart. And it ends up being seed that's on the wayside. That's good. You ought to shout amen. 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 So, so there are four different types of, of, of ground or places that the, the, the word, the seed can fall. By the wayside, on stony ground on thorny ground, or as we're going to talk about today, on good ground. Now, everybody in this room and everybody online represents one of those landing places, every one of us in here. Your heart right now is either wayside, and this word, no matter how good this message is, is not going to get into your heart because something is going to get your attention. Something's going to get you offended. Something's going to get you distracted. The enemy's going to try to pull you away to not zero in, let this word get in. Somebody's heart in here could very well be stony ground, which we'll talk about in a couple weeks. Somebody's heart could be thorny ground to where the word is in there. But, man, you got so much other stuff going on. You're worried about so many other things that it chokes the word out. And it doesn't produce like it should. But every one of us is desiring to be good ground. And I don't mean just good ground in terms of having a good heart or bad heart. Because a person can have a good heart and still not be good ground. The goal is to have a heart that is good ground. That's the kind of heart that allows the word to produce maximum results in our lives. So many times, we unknowingly end up blaming God or the devil for the results that we see in our lives without giving enough credit to the condition of our heart and its impact on the word's ability to produce results. That's how you can have two people come to the same church, sit and hear the same messages, shout amen at the same time. It works in the life of one of them, and it seems to never work in the life of the other one. It's not God. He's no respecter of persons. It's not the word. The word works all the time. We have to make sure when we show up that the condition of our heart is good ground so that the word can produce like God intends for it to. So I want to give you some characteristics today to help you understand what a heart that is good ground looks like. Number one, a heart that is good ground understands and embraces the word of God. If my heart is going to be good ground, I've got to understand the word which is why I, I slow down. I'm a, I'm a Bible teacher. I'm not a Bible preacher. I'm, I'm not T.D. Jakes. He's amazing. Don't get me wrong. He's amazing. I can't preach like T.D. Jakes. I bust a, a vocal cord trying to preach like T.D. Jakes. <laughs> My gifting to the body of Christ, I'm a Bible teacher. I got, God has gifted me to take complex spiritual matters, break them down so the average child or teenager can walk out understanding it. That's my gifting. So part of what allows our heart to be good grounds, you got to first of all start off understanding the word, but then the second part of it, I've got to embrace the word. And how many know what says? I've got to even embrace the parts of the word that I don't necessarily like. I can't just embrace the ones that talk about how blessed I'm going to be and what God wants to do in my life. I've got to embrace the ones that talk about forgiving people that have hurt me. Come on, I've got to embrace the parts of the word that might not be good to my flesh. John chapter 8, verse 31, this is Jesus talking. Jesus told the Jews who believed in him, he said, if you continue in my word, then you are really my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? Come on, I can't hear you. The truth will do what? The truth will set you free. Notice that Jesus emphasized the importance of not just hearing the word, being able to quote the word. He emphasized the importance of continuing in the word, which means it's not enough to start off and it didn't fall away. He says, if you're going to really be my disciples, you have got to continue in the word. And I believe he does that here because in the last days, the scriptures prophesy something that is called a great falling away. 
Let me describe to you what a great falling away is. And for some of you, it'll, it'll register because some of you have family members or friends who have allowed themselves to become a part of this falling away that's prophesied in the last days. The falling away is when people who have once trusted the Bible as the authority in their lives begin to look to other sources to establish their view of the world. People who used to be on fire for God, used to serve God, used to worship God, used to be on the usher team, used to be on the parking lot team, used to be the first ones at church, front row with their hands high in the air, but now somehow or another have gotten caught in different winds of doctrine, have started looking around and, and using other things. I still believe the Bible, but I, I believe this too over here. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm just kind of listening a little bit over here and, and, I, and I'm, I'm kind of broadening my horizon a little bit. I'm not so narrow to think that the Bible is the only way anymore. The Bible describes a great falling away that happens in the last days. We've got to remain anchored in the word of God. Watch this. As the only trustworthy place to establish truth. Come on, just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. I I know there's a whole lot of doctrines going around. There's a whole lot of theories going around. And there's a lot of folks getting caught up on blackness and whiteness and folks getting caught up on all kind of other things. Just give me Jesus, please. Thank you very much. He's, He's been enough. He's enough now. He will be enough in the future. See, one of the signs of the last days is widespread deception. And the only safeguard against it is to properly interpret and then obey God's word. See, the last days, the Bible says in, in, in Matthew 24, Jesus was having a conversation with his disciples, and they came up and they asked him, say, Sir, can you tell us what will be the sign of the last days, and what will be the signs of your return? In other words, we want to know what to look for. The first thing out of his mouth, go back and read it. The first thing he says is, let no man be deceived. Jesus, can you tell us what to look for in the last days? Just before you get ready to come back, what what should we look for? He said, don't let yourself get deceived. Which says to me in the last days, there's going to be widespread deception. You know what deception is, right? Deception is when people try to get you to believe a lie is the truth, and the truth is a lie. And if we're not living in that time right now, I don't know when it is. Because every day you look around, somebody's trying to get you to believe something that your mind tells you. There's no way in the world this can be real. There's no way in the world. You're expecting me to believe this is how it's supposed to be? And you're looking at me like something's wrong with me because I don't believe that? And we live in a time today where you and me as Christians are being crucified, being persecuted, because you are narrow-minded enough to believe that the Bible is actually still true today. And see, the problem is when you're in deception, you believe the lie is true. You believe the truth is a lie. And the only way to divide between what is really a lie and what is the truth is not based on what I think and what you think. It's not based on how I feel at the moment. It's not based on the popular vote. It's not based on whether Democrats or the Republicans take this opinion. The only way to keep from being deceived, to keep from being dragged into some belief system that is not in line with God, is to have a mindset that has a biblical worldview. Which means if the Bible says it, I believe it, and there's nothing else to talk about. See, I can't speak for you, but as for me, I believe the Bible, man. I believe all of it. I believe the table of contents in the front. I believe the Genesis, the Revelation. I believe the maps in the back and the glossary. I believe all of it, man. And I have built my entire life on the reality that this is God's truth. The reason why you got so many wishy-washy Christians and wishy-washy leaders and Folks falling all over the place 
is because you got so many people who've gotten away from the foundation that God's word is his truth and he's not asking for other people's opinion. People make decisions today based on financial gain, on opportunities of power and fame, for racial considerations. People make decisions based on political preferences. People make their decisions based on what's popular today. People make decisions based on a host of other factors, but God's word is the only foundation that's going to last forever. First Peter 1, he says, all people are like the grass and all of their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass dies and the flowers fall. Watch this. But the word of the Lord will live forever. God's word is eternal, and it's got to be the foundation we use to build our marriage, to build our family, to build our lives on. And it's not just the foundation that gets us started. It's got to be the thing we constantly come back to and compare what we think, what we feel, what we've heard, what we believe the Lord said to us. The dream we had in the middle of the night. The person who walked up to us in the lobby and prophesied over us. We have to take it all and take it back to the word of God. Because why says the Holy Spirit will never tell me something directly that is different than what he wrote to me in this book. I'm preaching better than you're saying amen. Don't be deceived into thinking there's a better way or some more relevant way today. God's way is still the only way. And I have seen in 30 years of ministry now, a lot of people that started off on fire for God, started off running hard with God and let themselves get shipwrecked. Sometimes because they started eating from too many different plates. And I'm certainly of the mindset that, you know, God can, you can certainly visit other places. You got family members going to somebody's, you know, a family event at another church. Nothing wrong with that. We're not the only gig in town. But you got to watch eating from too many different plates. Because, see, if God placed you here and God said this is your church, then the wisdom and the clarity of interpretation from the scriptures, your, your primary spot ought to be where God placed you. And there's a danger when you're eating from this church and that church and this church and that TV minister and this podcast. And before you know it, you can end up watching, you can end up getting one strain of doctrine that messes up your whole belief system. Just like in the natural, you can be going along well. You've had good meals. You go to one restaurant. They didn't cook the chicken fully. And now you are all messed up. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> But it's because you got one bad meal. Watch this. One bad physical meal messes with your digestive tract. One bad spiritual meal can send your mind racing somewhere, thinking about stuff and making you question the truth of God's word. The reality is, watch this. It, it amazes me how many people want to chase after something new. You haven't gotten down what I've been teaching you already. Now, if you mastered all of what I've been teaching now, maybe it is time to go after something else. But if you haven't gone through all the stuff we have in place in here, including Step 5 and Impact College, and mastered what we've given you, why do you need to grab hold of something else? It's the enemy's attempt sometimes to get you chasing something new that can confuse your spiritual system and end up causing you to be shipwrecked spiritually. I'm preaching better than you are saying amen. Second thing that a, a, a good ground heart has is we have to learn how to trust God through the pressures of life. A heart that is good ground trusts God through the pressures of life. Psalm number 40, verse 4 says, Blessed is the man 
who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. Can I give you this right here? Listen, listen to this. Pressure is a very natural part of life. Say amen to that. Really, it's it's a very natural part of life. The only way to eliminate pressure altogether is to go to heaven. But as long as we're here on earth, watch this, we have to learn how to manage the pressure that comes our way. You can't eliminate pressure. I wish there was a prayer I could pray. I would stay here till the evening time and just pray for everyone. If I could pray a simple prayer, it makes all your pressure go away. I'd do it. There's no prayer. There's no scripture I can give you. There's no magic pill you can take. As long as we're down here on earth, there's going to be pressure that comes from family, pressure that comes from friends, pressure that comes from the job, pressure that comes from your physical body and the doctor's reports. There's going to be pressure that comes from a number of sources. We've got to get better at managing the pressure when it shows up. See, we've got to develop the habit of truly casting the care of our troubles over on the Lord because he can handle it. See, well, and while we're, watch this, while we're casting the care over on him, we don't just become irresponsible. It's not like I've cast it on God, so I'm not thinking about it. I'm not going to work tomorrow because I cast the care on God. <laughs> They're going to cast your furniture out on the street, too. <laughs> we still got to be responsible. But what it means to cast the care over on God is that I stop letting it worry me. I stop allowing fear to determine how I react. And in the meantime, watch this. I learned how to rest, praise God. I learned how even when I'm going through, watch this, I learned how to serve other people. And I end up focusing in on what God said instead of what the problem said. See, one of the things I realized is so many people end up waiting for your problems to finally be over before you start enjoying the beauty of every day. And I'm here to tell you, you got to stop waiting for for, for the problems to be over. you got to learn how to get up every day and thank God that your eyes open today. Come on, somebody. Thank God I'm able to see this day. Come on, come on, somebody. Everything may not be perfect. Everything may not be exactly like I like it to be. Yeah, there's pressure that's coming. There's distractions that's coming. But every day you ought to get up and say, thank you, Lord, for allowing me to see today. Thank you, Lord, for blessing me with another day. Because some of you keep putting your enjoyment of life on hold. You keep pushing it into the future. Some of you did when I finally have kids, I'm going to finally be able to praise God. Then you got kids. Then, then, then he said, when I finally get able to get some sleep, doggone it, I'm going to be okay. Then it was when, when I finally get these babies potty trained, I'm going to be all right. When they finally start walking on their own, so I don't have to carry them everywhere, I'm going to be fine. When I can, whoo, girl, when I can finally get them into school. <laughs> then it was when, when, it, whoo, when they finally start driving. Oh, my Lord, I'm so tired of being soccer mom, running them everywhere. When I finally get them driving, I'm going to be all right then. Then is when they finally graduate and get out this house. I need them to go ahead and get them out there on their own. Huh? Now, you know what you're saying? When these grandkids finally grow up a little bit, I'm going to find. You keep kicking your happiness. It's time to start enjoying today. Watch well, this, in spite of the problems. Look your problems right in the face and still make a decision. I'm still going to have a good time today. I'm still going to praise God today. Come on, somebody. I'm still going to enjoy today. And part of, part of the solution is this. We got to stop violating this one scripture in the Bible. I, I believe personally it's one of the most violated scriptures in all the Bible. And it's got nothing to do with fornication or adultery. The scripture I think we violate so often is James chapter 1, verse 2, where the Bible says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. 
We got to get better at obeying that scripture and, and walking in the truth of that scripture. But here's the problem. That scripture is counterintuitive. Means it is, it's the exact opposite. You have to do the exact opposite of what you think and feel in the moment. You, you think about it, when you get bad news, you don't feel like dancing and shouting. You don't walk with them like, can you believe? <laughs> I just came from the doctor. That fool said I got cancer. <laughs> it's counterintuitive. You have to intentionally do the opposite of how you feel in order to line up with the scripture. Because it's not joy. See, the reason you have to count it joy is because it's not joy in the natural. Like, think about right now. If, if I went in the back, came back with my checkbook, and said, the Lord told me to write you a check for $3,000, I'll write you a check. I mean, how many know you ain't got to count that joy? Mm, some be like, ugh. Mm. Oh. You don't have to count it joy when something just happened real good to you. But if you went home today and you checked the mailbox and you had a letter in there from the I, R, and S, and they said, we made a mistake on your taxes. We sent you too much in your check. You now owe us $3,000. Yeah, you, you felt that in your shine now, didn't you? I'm making it up. And some of you got sad right there. Right? The very thought of that one can make you feel sad. So watch this. When it's not joy, the Bible says you have to count it joy, which means, why? come on, listen to me. I'm trying to teach you something. You got to treat it like it's joy, even though it's not. That's, that's why I went off last week. I know this stuff. I've been teaching this for 30 years. But in the moment, I got, I, got, I got hit with the emotion of how I felt, which is why it took me two worship songs. It took me to the second song last week in the 8 o'clock service before it kicked in because my problem wasn't gone. Honestly speaking, naturally, the problem's not gone today. But I made a decision in spite of it. I'm still going to praise God. So I, I made a decision to treat it like it was joy, even though it wasn't joy. And the Lord told me this years ago, I'm going to share it with you. He said, son, if you'll learn how to count it joy, I'll turn around and make it joy. Come on, that's good. You ought to shout like you believe that. He said, son, son if, you'll, if you'll learn how to count it joy, I'll turn around and I'll make it joy. Here's a, here's a quote I want you to grab hold of. Life is not about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning how to dance in the rain. Some of you waiting on the sun to come out and the clouds to be gone and the weather to break up before you finally get out and start enjoying life and thanking God for this day. Life's not about waiting on the storm to pass. Sometimes in life, you just got to get out there and dance in the rain, man. Just let the devil know that no matter what you throw my way, I'm still going to have a hallelujah anyhow. Some years ago, man, it was, it was actually before we even had kids. April and I, we had just started learning how to vacation. We went on a vacation out to the west coast of Florida, out in the Destin area. And we had just gotten there, had just put our stuff in the hotel. And we were hungry, so we went to get something to eat. And we went to, like, I don't remember the restaurant. It was either like a Panera Bread or a Quiznos, a little sub place. And we went in, and, and on the way into the restaurant, April gets a call on her phone. And we're, we're I mean, on the way in, we're bouncing and happy because, man, we finally on vacation. We're getting ready to have some fun for a few days. And as soon as she gets this phone call, her whole disposition changes. She, her, she, her voice changes. Her, her countenance changes. When she gets off the phone, I say, babe, what's wrong? And then she said this, nothing. How I many know that's a lie? <laughs> you lying. <laughs> Everything done changed. Something's wrong. And then she goes on to tell me what they just said on the other end. 
And I'm telling her, it's going to be all right. You know, neither one of us want to hear this, but it's going to be fine. But we, we've been through stuff like this before. It's going to be fine. And she hears me, but, you know, in the moment, it's kind of hard to shake that off. And so we go into the restaurant, and she's still gloomy. And I'm like, I mean, if you ever see me gloomy, it, it's something really has gotten my attention. Because I'm really, I, 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 I pride myself on being like Jesus, the same yesterday, day, and forever. And it's not many things I let get the best of me. And so I'm trying my best to get her, you know, get her back up and come on, get her out of this funk. And so I start quoting script. I say, baby, you know, the Bible says, come on now. <laughs> the Bible says we got to count it all joy. And she looked at me like you look at that one friend that's quoting scripture when you don't want to hear that. Yeah, I, I know what the Bible says. I ain't talking about the Bible right now. I'm talking about real life, how what I'm feeling right now. I said, babe, the Bible, <laughs> the Bible says we got to count it joy. She says, I know, I know. Praise the Lord. <laughs> True story. I'm not, I'm not making this up. And so right there in the middle of the restaurant, I, I said, I'm going to act on this word. So I took off in the restaurant. And I ran full speed, a lap. <laughs> I ran past the counter. Came back around past people eating their food. <laughs> and I got back to the front where April was. And she looked at me like, thou fool. <laughs> Did you really just run in this restaurant like that? I said, babe, the Bible, we got to count in joy. We got to do something. She said, I know. Praise the Lord. I said, nope. And I took off again. <laughs> and I ran a second lap all the way around the restaurant. And I got back to her. And she's like, you didn't really just do that a second time. I said, babe, we have got to count this thing joy. She says, okay, I know, I know. Pray. Then she tried to pray. I said, no, that ain't good enough. And I took off again. <laughs> By the time I came back around that third time, she's looking at me like, you do that one more time? <laughs> and then, then she's, I think she started praising God just to keep me from running again. <laughs> watch this, watch this. But it brought her out of that bad mood. And watch this. And God turned whatever the situation was. He clearly turned around. We're still here. Everybody in our family's still here. Come on, somebody. What am I saying? You got to find a way to act on the word of God like you believe what God actually said. You can't sit here singing all these songs talking about how good God is and then not being depressed and discouraged seven days a week. We'll give you a moment to have an emotional moment, but get yourself back up, man. Dust yourself off. Start to praise God again. Start to jump again. Start to dance again. Start to shout again. Count it joy even when it's not joy. Third thing we have to do if we're going to have a heart that's good ground, recognize everything I have belongs to God. I don't own anything. It belongs to him. See, lust and greed and comparison and competition and materialism are just a few of the things that can corrupt a heart that has become good ground. When your heart's become good ground, you got to still protect it. And we got to fight to maintain a heart that is pure. One of the best ways to do that is to have a position in your heart where you relinquish your claim to any of the things we call our possessions. That means, no, that's not my car. I know I'm paying the note on it. It's not my car. It's God's car. I know, this, I know my name is on the mat in front of the house, but it's not my house. It's God's house. Come on, that's God's money. Come on, say amen, somebody. It's God's retirement account. It's God's 401K. It's God's businesses. I relinquish ownership of all of it. And if I relinquish ownership, watch this. Now I can no longer be caught up in greed and pride and materialism because I don't own anything. And if I look at what the Bible actually says in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14, it says the Lord owns the world and he owns everything in it. 
the heavens, even the highest heavens, belong to him. Then I love, I love what God said in, in Job 41. This is God talking. Verse 11. He says, nobody has ever given me anything that I got to pay back. <laughs> Why, God? Because everything under the sky belongs to me. See, God's instruction when he tells us to tithe, hear me out, it's less about the money and it's more about God showing us the condition of our heart. See, because if God has given me money and he gave me strength to go to work, he gave me the intellect to go to college and get a degree that allowed me to get this job. If God has given me everything that I have and I recognize that he owns it, it's easy for me to take 10% of his 100% and bring it back to him. Sometimes we think we've done something when we finally convince ourselves that the 10% belongs to him. Let me clarify. He doesn't own the 10%. He owns the whole thing. It's just he asks us to bring the 10% back to him through our local church. Then he asks us, come and put our ear to him. Let him tell us what to do with the 90%. And watch this. The one who's a good steward by bringing him the 10% and then managing well the 90%. Hear me out. He will always fill you back up. So you can do more of what he's telling you to do. See, when we have this kind of an eternal perspective, it, 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 it keeps us from being tripped up by materialism, by possessions. Because if God owns everything, then we understand he's got a right to move his possessions around anytime he wants to. Years ago, when we first started ministry, I was 23, April was 22. Kids. I love, we, we thought we was grown then, but we were kids looking back on it. 23 and 22 starting in the ministry. We didn't have a lot of money. Didn't, wasn't making a lot of money at the time. And then we, did, we were in a ministry where you couldn't wear jeans and, and T-shirt to, to church like this. We wore suits, like seven-piece suits. <laughs> like buttons and <laughs> flaps. And <laughs> like this every Sunday. <laughs> Suited up every week. And so, you know, all the ladies came with dresses, dresses and stockings and the whole shebang. Well, we're a young couple. We don't have a lot of suits and dresses. And so I remember we were believing God for some suits for me, some dresses for her. And this lady walked up to April and had like two or three dresses, brand new. And she said, the Lord told me to bless you with these dresses. Well, I mean, when you've been praying for dresses, somebody walks up and gives you dresses, you counted a blessing from God and you thank him for it. And we started thanking him for it. And then before we could get the thanks all the way out, the Lord spoke to our hearts and said, hang on, those dresses are not for you. I want you to sew them into so-and-so. Now, it's one thing when God tells you to sew some dresses and you got a lot of them. He tells you to sew some dresses, and we don't have that many to sew, God. These brand-new dresses just came in. He said, sew them into this other lady who did exactly what he said to do, gave those few dresses away. It was less than a couple weeks after that that this other lady shows up and said, the Lord told me to bless you with some dresses, and this time she came with seven dresses. It was just a little while after that that another lady showed up and told April, the Lord told me to take you on a shopping spree to New York. She paid for her to fly to New York for two days. They shopped at the garment district, and she came back with a boatload of dresses. What am I saying? Sometimes God is trying to check the condition of your heart. Do, 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 are you laying claim to this stuff? Is this your stuff? Or is it my stuff? Because if it's God's stuff, then God can tell you to move his stuff to somebody else, but he's never going to have you move some stuff to somebody else without turning around to make sure he takes care of you in the same process. You ought to shout like you believe that somebody. Here's the fourth thing we need for our heart to be good ground. We got to recognize that Jesus has got to be our greatest desire. We got to desire him more than anything and everything else. There's a singer by the name of Vashon Mitchell who wrote a song years ago. 
He said, I searched all over, couldn't find nobody. I looked high and low, and I still couldn't find nobody. Nobody greater, nobody greater, Lord, nobody greater than you. So there's a constant tug of war happening where the enemy's trying his best to draw our affection and our devotion away from Jesus. But whether you've lived a long time or a short time, this is a reality we got to settle in. There's nothing else outside of God that is greater than he is. There's even a time in the ministry of Jesus where he's teaching and he's got a crowd of people following him. And he preached one message and had one line in that one message where he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part in me. Nobody raised their hand and asked, can you explain that? They got offended because of one message, one line. <laughs> Never mind all the years he's been sowing into them. Never mind how he's helped heal them and visited them and raised their family members from the dead. He preached one message and had one line in one message. And the Bible says many of them turned and walked away from him. Then he turned to his disciples, the 12 who were still there. And he said, this, this is what he said. This is the Detroit hood version. He said, y'all want to bounce too? <laughs> Yeah, I want to get out of here too. And I love Peter's reaction. Peter said, where are we going to go, Lord? Where are we going to? Peter said, you're the one who has the words of eternal life. In other words, Peter said, there's nowhere that we can go that's better than where we are right here with you, Jesus. Amen. David said this way in Psalm 73, verse 25. He said, who do I have in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. See, when we make Jesus our greatest desire... It helps us maintain a heart that is good ground. This is the last one I want to give you. If you want to have a heart that's good ground, you have to be a person that is full of love and forgiveness. We love people and we forgive people. It means I'm not going to walk around mad at you. And I'm not even going to wait for you to ask me to forgive you. You may still be mad at me, still doing stuff bad toward me. I'm going to forgive you, not even for your sake, but for my sake. In fact, I tell people all the time, before your behind hits the back door, I would have already forgiven you. Because I cannot afford to let what you did to me cause me to mess up what God's trying to do for me. See, living with a heart of bitterness and unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. That unforgiveness doesn't hurt them. It hurts you. Gets your heart twisted. It taints your heart. Keeps the heart from being good ground. Unforgiveness hurts us. It robs us. It allows another human being to quietly maintain power and control over our lives. Unforgiveness allows somebody who is often no longer even thinking about us to live rent-free in our minds and in our hearts. See, if we're going to be people who are partakers of forgiveness, we have to also understand the contract. is: If I'm going to partake of forgiveness, I've got to be a dispenser of forgiveness. I can't have God forgiving me, but then hold everybody else in bondage by not releasing them for what they did wrong to me. See, when our heart is good ground, we can confidently expect God's word to work for us and produce more than 30% return, more than 60-fold return. We can expect God to produce a 100-fold return in our hearts. And that's my prayer and my declaration over your life today. If you receive that, go ahead and give God a shout of praise in this place. Come on. Come on, give him a shout of praise. Thank you, Lord. Come on, thank you, God. All right, I'm over my time. So every head bowed, every eye closed in prayer. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to pray for you. I'm not here to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you up here to the front of the church. I'm not going to ask you to tell the church about any mistakes you've made in your life. Whatever mistakes you made, we can tell you 10, 10 mistakes we made that are probably worse than that. 
So it's not a mistake show here. I'm here to tell you that no matter how many bad decisions or mistakes you made, Jesus' blood paid the price for that. God's not looking at you through the lens of how many mistakes or bad choices you made. In fact, he brought you here today to give you a chance to hear the good news. The good news is not you messed up, God's mad at you, he's tired of dealing with you. The good news is he knew you were going to mess up before you did, he still loves you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you and for me. And all, we, all it takes on our part is opening up our hearts to receive his love, confessing Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives, believing in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead. The Bible says you will be saved. So if you're here today or if you're online today and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've never invited him into your heart to be your Savior. If that's you, I want to pray for you today. I'm not here to embarrass you. I'm not here to put you in a position where you feel put on the spot and I'm going to call you to the front. But I want to ask you right here today, if you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, I'm going to count to three. When I get to three, if you're ready to give your life to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand right there where you are. I'm going to ask you, don't slow down. Don't try to think about it too much because the devil's going to try to talk out of it. He's going to try to steal that seed before it gets into your heart good. But if you know, something on the inside is telling you that today is your day. When I count to three, I'm going to ask you, just shoot your hand up. Raise it high as you can. Here we go. One, two, three. Go ahead and raise your hand if that's you. Thank you. Beautiful, 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 beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. See another hand there. Another hand right there. Thank you. Another hand there. Thank you. Another hand there. Thank you. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All over the room, hands are going up. Beautiful. Anybody online? Even though I can't see you, heaven can still see you. Your name can still be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You have not raised your hand, but you know you should have. Go ahead and lift it up if you haven't done so already. In the room or online. Every one of you that raised your hand for prayer, I want you to whisper this prayer right there at your seat. I want you to say, dear God in heaven, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. He paid the price for my sin, but you raised him from the dead. And he's alive right now. So Jesus, come into my heart now. Save me. Forgive me. Make me brand new. I surrender my life to you for the rest of my days. And according to the Bible, I am born again. Amen. Impact Church, put your hands together. Help us celebrate. 